everyone. My name is Katherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Company companies, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $100 million in savings over the last 20 years for our clients. Joining us today is Rachel Patero. Uh, Rachel, we would love if you introduced yourself in your Indigenous language. Uh, kia ora, kia ora mai tātou, uh, tēnā tātou katoa. Uh, ko wai au, ko waikato te iwi, ko waikato te awa, he piko, he tanifa, he piko, he tanifa. Ko taupiri te maunga, ko waikato te awa, uh, ko tainui te waka, uh, ko ngā hapu, ko ngā tita mauho, ko ngā tita tahinga, ko ngā tifafakia, ai, uh, ko ngā tita ngā hapu, ko mangatangi pātou, ko tūranga waiwai, ko mangatangi te awa. Uh, ko maunga rō te maunga. Ko Rachel, te rau e whāpitaro tōku ingoa. Kia ora, Catherine. Uh, kia ora, everybody. Thank you so much for allowing me to introduce myself in my Indigenous language, which is Māori. Um, I'm Indigenous of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And in my opening, I introduced you, you would have heard my name at the end, mm. um, because in my culture, that's the least important. Um, it was about connecting you to the places that I belong. So I introduced you to my river, which is called the Waikato River, if you've been to New Zealand. I introduced you to my mountain, my Maunga, sacred mountain, which is called Tōpiri, uh, and my Waka, which is Tainui Waka. So I'm from a, uh, the tribal area of Waikato Tainui here in New Zealand. Uh, we have nearly 80,000 uh, registered members to our tribe, um, and we are thriving uh, as a people, we've still got a lot of work to do um, around healthcare, but ultimately, um, yeah, we're thriving. And I introduced you to where my resting place will be at the end of my life, which is called Mangatangi Pa, um, where my father's family are from, and uh, my four sub tribes uh, Ngati Tamoho, Ngati Fafakia, Ngati Teata, and Ngati Tahinga. So, thank you so much for allowing me to do that. Um, and yeah. congratulations to you, uh, Dawn, for all of the, you know, the great work you're doing in healthcare. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and, and I love that we're able to have this conversation, you know, Zoom and, and obviously how kind of much our planet is becoming kind of a smaller and smaller and more communicative space is just really, really exciting. Um, and, and for all of our, our viewers, uh, just to give a little background, uh, Rachel Patero is the founder and CEO of Rise 2025 Global. Uh, Rise 2025 Global is a 100% Indigenous-owned management consultancy with a vision to transform the lives of 100,000 Indigenous women and their families by 2025. Rachel advocates and drives gender equity, diversity, inclusivity, and entrepreneurship for Indigenous women through her leadership and advisory roles in governance, business, and community, community development. So thank you so much, Rachel, for being able to join us. Welcome. Great to be here. And I think one of the, one of the, the, the first questions that I really wanted to ask you is, you know, Obviously, you started Rise 2025 to empower 
those Indigenous women and their families to thrive by what you call having one coaching conversation at a time. So what does this mean to you and how important is it to have communication be the driving force behind leadership success? Yeah, no, Catherine, I believe in that every word that we put out there uh, is important. And so letting the world know that, you know, this is our vision. And ultimately, it's to transform the lives of Indigenous women and their families. Um, and we use coaching as the, as the, the practice um, to do that. And so coaching really changed my life. Um, one coach yeah, helped me to, to leave my HR role um, in corporate. I was in London at the time, um, you know, and doing, doing well, um, but really knew that there was something else out there for me. And so left the security and comfort uh, of a corporate career and jumped out into my, um, my own business. And, you know, that started from a conversation I had with a coach. I never forgot that. And then I, having done my CIPD um, and, you know, traveling that path of HR, the profession of HR, what I really knew was that that, that talent development, that um, leadership development, that side of HR was really where I wanted to focus. I wasn't so focused on, you know, um, policy and of course I knew about that but really I found my strength in, in developing talent and so I believe I can see see talent before uh, and see women before they see themselves often mm-hmm. and so being able to set up a business um, and it wasn't called Rise at the start you know it was called Gen Viva um, and that was okay. the name that I came up with around um, yeah work you know living to work was sort of the way we used to do it but you know just really working um yeah just working in a really more holistic way was what I was searching for in my business so yeah I jumped I did my first um contract with Barclays Retail Bank um in a big HR transformation program uh knowing people that were working there and then the rest is history um, and I've, you know, never been out of work since. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm um, yeah, 12 years in my business now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's transformed. Um, as my business has transformed, I've transformed. And so coaching really is the, the practice that we have implemented. Um, and I'd, you know, love to talk a little bit more about what that's given us. So, yeah, indigenizing spaces as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is really important to the business because we are really focused on Indigenous women. So being able to indigenize those spaces, um, make sure that our programs are fit for purpose, that our the women that come to us, they feel safe, they feel culturally safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that has got to do with their well-being. Um, so, yeah, we have a beautiful indigenous led developed designed and delivered program called tahi uh, that is open to the world and um yeah it's just going it's it's beyond my vision um, even now so, right well what 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 i really love how you described coaching is that leadership development where coaching is not so much telling people what to do it's empowering them to make those decisions for themselves 
100% because our practice is that everyone that we work with is resourceful, creative and whole. Mm -hmm. So when we come from that perspective, you're not broken. You don't need to be rescued. Yeah, you have what you need within you. Yeah, that's the starting point. And when you approach leadership in that way, it completely changes the conversation, one coaching conversation at a time. And so we set up uh, Indigenous women and a few good men um, to really acquire those skills. And then we have a beautiful way of doing that in our own uh, Indigenous way with culture sitting, you know, firmly in the centre of, of our programs. Yeah, and you, and you said that that you started about 12 years ago in that journey. So so how is the, even just in the different businesses that you worked with and the different people that you worked with, how has the communication kind of and, and leadership strategies changed over that time? Have, have you seen it become more of an easy conversation or is it still kind of the same, um, the same boundaries sometimes yeah, that, that you hit? Yeah, great, great question. I think we're always going to hit boundaries, you know, because we're dealing with people. Mm -hmm. you know? And and so if I just take uh, the context of, I think there's been huge change yeah, in that, in that 12 years, um, especially from a, a, a leadership development perspective. Um, I think we lean into those tougher conversations more. Mm -hmm. And if you take, you know, New Zealand's only 5 million, uh, but we, we punch above our weight. Um, and having, you know, I've had 16 years internationally, you know, in HR and business and now in, you know, in governance roles internationally. Um, I really uh, appreciate what New Zealand has given me out in the world, because if you think about where we've come as a nation, we, you know, we're quite a young nation. When, and that's what I used to love about Europe and the UK is that you had so much history, um, you know, and it was, you could see it, you could see it. Whereas everywhere. Zealand, yeah, everywhere, exactly. Whereas New Zealand is quite a young country, although um, you, we have a we have a history. And if you think about where New Zealand has come in terms of um, Te Tiriti or Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi, um, which has been an ongoing conversation for 180 years for the Crown, yeah, in oh, the UK, yeah. um, who who operate through our government, uh, and the conversations we've been having for 180 years with Māori um, through colonisation, through the you know the the confiscation of land, you know those conversations have been ongoing, and Māori have fought for our rights, and you know now if you look at our parliament and our government. Uh, we have a huge representation of uh, women, um, and so we are. We've just gone over. I think. I think we're fifty-one percent, forty-nine percent men. Yes. Yes, but also the representation of Maori, yeah, the indigenous in our government, is is across all parties. Yeah, we are represented. And then you see the Indigenous women who are there, you know, our Minister of Foreign Affairs and Trade is, is Māori and she wears a traditional wukokauai as I do. Um, and, and she's out in the world and, and as Indigenous women, they're drawn to that. 
because they see the leadership that looks like them. They may, she may not be indigenous to their country, but we understand this concept of indigenous women rising. Um, so we're all, you know, I always say when one indigenous woman rises, we all rise. And so, you know, there's been fundamental changes in how um, leaders lead, um, especially here in, in New Zealand. I think we 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 we've got a you know we've got an amazing prime minister. Jacinda, um, mm -hmm. who is out in the world, and she leads from a very empathic, uh, compassionate perspective. Not everyone's cup of tea, but actually many people are drawn to her as a leader. So her communication style is different. And I, I also believe that men are, uh, are starting to appreciate and potentially use that language of communication to connect, yeah, to connect more to the people, to the organizations, to the teams that they build. So fundamentally, yeah, there's been a, a, a good change. And then at governance levels as well, where, where the decisions are made. And that's what I worked out on my journey. Oh, if I really want to make some change, I'm going to get on some of these governance boards. And, you know, being able to influence at that level, I think is really important. Yeah, and and, and along with, with, you know, like you said, seeing the shift over these last, you know, 10 or so years of having more diversity within either your workplace, the government, you know, pretty much any governing body around the world is starting to really embrace the diversity that obviously so enriches this planet. And I know that that both businesses and their employees profit from that diverse workforce and, and having those different ideas come come in even in small conversations. And I think also an anti-discriminatory working environment I think is so important and that I've really seen kind of change over the last couple of years. So in, in your opinion, how can companies create that strong active diversity and inclusion programs that support and truly benefit all of their employees? Mm, great question. Uh actually bring into place uh, a coaching and learning culture. Yeah, that's what I would mm -hmm. say, really shifts organizations. Because if you think about, so I believe in mentoring, 100%. I believe in counseling. I believe in training. Yeah. And I believe that coaching has a unique space in organizations. And creating a, a coaching and learning culture yeah, is really about allowing spaces yeah that promote you know anti-discriminatory um practices they promote it promotes wellness but more importantly it promotes safety yeah safety and sacred places that your 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 staff your employees your teams can go to and i really advocate for growing your own coaches in mm -hmm. your organization as part of your professional and personal growth. And that's what I've seen. You know, I'm working across governments and private sector and community. And when we empower our people, our leaders, with skills that not only grow them, yeah, because, you know, that's what I've learned in coaching. First, you have to look at yourself. Yeah. Yes. First you have to look at yourself. Yeah. And what are the blind spots that we all have? 
Yeah. And then you acquire some new ways of um, op keeping, you know, we talk about op open door policy. Okay, great. But what, what could that mean? What could be the next iteration of that? Um, it could be open spaces where people feel really safe to come and talk to, you know, the people that have got the badge of honour um, to go and have these really powerful conversations. And that's the difference for me. Um, that's why I stepped into coaching is because it's about uh, a conversation with purpose. And a powerful conversation isn't a long conversation sometimes. It's a powerful conversation because you've asked the right question, because you understand that the person that's come to you is whole, creative and resourceful. And actually your role as a coach is to hold space for them. Yeah. And allow them to explore whatever it is. And the powerful question that you might ask could be, that helps to unlock that for that person to discover what is it they want to get out of the conversation. It could be just asking them, you know, how are you? That could be the powerful question. I've asked that question, you know, so many times and, you know, often it's a, you know, it's a release of, oh, actually I'm not good. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and, and knowing and, and letting the other person know that you're having those conversations with that you, you support them you know in in creating those safe spaces it's not just saying that it's a safe space it's, it's it's actually demonstrating you know obviously actions speak so much louder than words of creating those safe spaces instead of just saying it and ultimately if you talk about cost savings there's huge cost savings in building yeah so you've got a workforce yeah you've they need to know that they there is a you know a pathway for development yeah but the great thing about going on this journey and and the way that we deliver it anyway I know that everyone's different but we are um an ICF accredited so we understand that the ethics that come with that and the competency framework mm -hmm. um is that people feel empowered and valued to not only go on there you know to yes get some professional development but every time without fail uh, people say to us how much they got out for themselves of of going on on one of our programs and that for me is as important because it can't just be about the workplace and so we've built all of our programs to say if it doesn't impact th their life outside of work then we haven't done our job if there's not an a ripple effect outside of their leadership role, how it's changing the conversations with their family, how it's changing how they engage with the community, how it's changing how they look at, you know, sustainability and, and um, climate change, you know, mm -hmm. all these big topics. If it's not having an impact there, then we feel like we haven't done our job. Um, so, so, so really, I think there's such an opportunity to not only do good for your organisation, do good for your teams, but do good for the world. Yeah, the ecological framework. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and I think so much of that starts within obviously building up yourself and kind of that confidence, um, mm. but also making sure that you're on a healthy and kind of that wellness track individually so that you can contribute and, and grow within your community and within kind of that global sphere. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we say the global sphere, it might be, you know, being a better recycler. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it doesn't need to be a big, um, you know, a, a life-changing trend. You know, it's, it's about the individual responsibility. And that's what I've, I've learned myself around um, my coaching journey and my leadership journey is, is taking 100% responsibility. And when you get your teams to take 100% responsibility for their actions, uh, for their language, for their contribution, then it really changes, it really changes the game. Um, because then we're really in that high performance, um, high value space where people are have actually become quite innovative, creative, resourceful and whole and are contributing at a different level. And that's the space that that I like to work with. I've just come back from our team retreat. We had a, a weekend, you know, after all of this COVID. And what I really noticed about, about my team is that, you know, they are totally operating in, in that space because I don't have time. Um, I've got lots of things going on. So they're very empowered to take 100% responsibility. And even when we make mistakes, actually, you know, we're going to work through that. I'm going to work through that and understand how we might do it differently next time. Yeah, and and obviously, I think um, within that of kind of moving forward for for yourself, uh, but also for the community as a whole, I, I it just reminds me of just even over the last couple of years, the conversations around mental health and yes. how you can empower yourself, but also how you can have those conversations, you know, have that that communication as mm. to what is going to benefit, um, but also how do I work through issues, mm. right? And I know in a recent Gallup poll, um, nearly like a fifth of U.S. workers rated their mental health as fair or even poor. And, and they reported about four times unplanned absences, you know, calling in from work due to mental health and, and not being able to go into those safe spaces sometimes because of kind of how they are progressing through everything. Mm -hmm. And I know that about four in 10 adults, um, you know, have either significant depression or anxiety um, or even know someone who, who suffers from those kind of things. And I know Dorn also offers a portal for wellness tips and self-care and mental health awareness. So how, how do you, because we talked about those safe spaces at work because you spend so much of your life ultimately at work, how, what, what strategies have helped you and some of the people that you've worked with to address mental health with mm. employees? Yeah, yeah, great, great. So, um, if I just use the retreat as a, an as an example, so mm -hmm. we invited the the partners of um, the woman. They didn't have to bring them, <laughs> um, but it was, you know, we thought, yeah, let's let's bring our partners. What what we heard from all so everyone is our uh, coaches and, and the team, and what we heard from our partners was the impact, the indirect impact that our work was having on them and, uh, you know, their, their, their mental health um, and what it had given them to see us as women rising, 
you know, and, and they just, they call, you know, one of the words they used was pioneering, which then allowed them last weekend to then decide as a group of men, actually, what, what do we need? Yeah, what do we need? How are we going to fill our cup? Yeah, how are we going to take care of ourselves in terms of our mental health, our physical health, our spiritual health? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so that was, you know, that's that's a really tangible outcome of how coaching indirectly, we weren't even coaching them, and we wouldn't try, um, has has the the wellness impact, yeah, and the mental wellness impact. So then one of my other team members, she is from Samoa, a little island in the Pacific. And, and if you know anything about all the islands, they're sinking, aren't they? Um, it's the oh. big climate change challenge in the Pacific. Yeah? Yes. Um, one of my team members is the only clinical psychologist on the island of Samoa. I, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because you go to New Zealand or you go to Australia to find work. So what's left in in Samoa is this beautiful woman that is working with us. But she's come on the coaching journey, a clinical psychologist. She's come on our coaching journey because in, 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 you know, I'm not against anyone who's a clinical psychologist. However, her her, um, mindset, her mindset, but also her want for herself was to really open up the other side of her, which is this, I'm not here to fix you. I'm not going to remedy you. I've got another space, which I think I need to step into, which is co- coaching, which is whole creative resourceful. Yeah. And I want to step into that as well. So she explained mental health versus mental illness to me in a really simple way. Mm-hmm. Mental health is about taking care of your mind. Yeah, that's what yeah. it means. Yeah, it's, and when it becomes mental illness, that's where the clinical psychologists get involved because day-to-day functioning isn't possible. Yeah, you've moved, there's that, there's that boundary. And what we've realized is that coaching is a preventative measure for mental illness. And there has to be very clear boundaries around that. Because mm-hmm. in the coaching space, everyone has a level of mental health, anxiety, yeah, a level. Yeah, there's a spectrum. Yeah, it's about how we manage it. And just imagine those statistics that you shared with me if they had the opportunity to speak to a coach who is really focused on the whole person. Yeah, and get yeah. them to, to not shift into the mental illness side of things. And not have to go down that remedy. Okay, you've got, you're going to have to be prescribed medication. Imagine what that would look like. And so we've decided that we're going to go to the New Zealand government um, because we have very high statistics as well in mental health. And we really want to support that preventative side using coaching, using trained coaches who, are, who can really support that, that mental health of taking care of your mind. Yeah, connecting that to your body. Yeah, your spirituality, yeah, mm-hmm. and also your, you know, your essence of, of who you are. And that's how we practice coaching the whole person. Coach the person, not the problem. Right. And, and and having those open conversations, you know, even if it's not just, you know, like we said earlier, of it's it's not just being specific about something. It can even just be here's the open space, 
here is the support and this is how you can empower yourself yes, to yes. also do those things yeah and let's have a conversation about what that might look like for you mm -hmm. yeah and what you might do differently and actually what's your what's the reality you know that you're facing and sometimes the reality can get you know it can get hyped up actually when you look at it from a different perspective potentially you know and what are the costs what are the costs for staying in that reality that's not serving you yeah and then hey let's why don't you just think of you know wildest dreams what could it be right yeah, and let's look at all the options and the opportunities for you to move forward even if it's just one millimeter forward to something that you're really passionate about so yeah and yeah. And what, one of those conversations over the last couple of years, I think, has been all about the idea of burnout. And I think that's something that can be absolutely, um, absolutely avoided by Manager. having those conversations early on. You know, even if it's just work styles, if someone has a work style that you really need a quiet space, you need to be able to concentrate that's one work style as opposed to someone else who likes noise, who who yeah. likes things happening around them. If someone who, you know, works better in a quieter environment is constantly in an extremely loud, kind of more chaotic, you know, moving environment, they're going to experience burnout so much faster. And maybe if they have those kind of conversations early on, you can prevent something like that. I think burnout is definitely manageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it's preventable. Um, and let's be honest, it's not only the organization's um, responsibility; it's also the individual responsibility to to let to let your leaders, let your organization know what you need. Yeah, and often when I ask women, especially, yeah, you know, what 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 is it that you need? Yeah, they find it hard to articulate that. I ask a man straight down the line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we've got to really ask for what we need in life. And that's a skill. And that's going, you mentioned confidence, you know, that, you know, it still comes up, still comes up in pretty much every conversation. And I, I believe, um, you know, I have a formula, which is, you know, we've got to learn about courage first. Yeah courage and courage looks like vulnerability a lot of the time actually you can't mm -hmm. be courageous if you're not vulnerable yeah so it's finding your voice often finding your people yeah where you belong finding your your leadership style you know your preferences what do you like you know that's what courage can look like and looks different and then you have to get competent yeah you have to be competent in in what you've chosen uh, to do and how do you do mm -hmm. that? You train, you you know, go and program, you develop yourself. And courage plus competence equals confidence. Yeah, and that's you know that that formula seems to sort of work for not just because confidence doesn't sit on its own. Yeah, right. It's surrounded by many things, but you know, if you keep it simple um, for for people, they tend to be able to do that for themselves and so yeah it's a it's a great it's a great conversation to have but confidence you know often comes up around well-being but you know it's all of our responsibility and so you know take responsibility ask for what you need right right yeah. and then I think and I, and, and I think that companies 
can see that higher employee engagement of the company, of the of the overall kind of workplace culture, if you truly give your employees that confidence to, you know, obviously take ownership of the overall company success, take ownership of, of their own success and their team success. I mean, it's so much of it ties into, I think, creating that culture and creating a place where now you feel empowered to, to kind of, I'd say, give voice to what you need and give voice to ultimately what a company can need by having those conversations. Yeah. So this concept of reciprocity, you know, which is very much embedded in in our Indigenous cultures, you know, whatever you are are taking, you better give back even more than Mm -hmm. you took. Yeah. And so when I come into organizations and they say, oh, we've got a a culture, uh, organization culture issue, uh, the first thing I look at is at the leadership. Yeah. Right. It's often 99.9% stems from the leadership. Yeah, because it. I think it, in my experience, it it's more of a trickle down effect. You know, if if you have those strong conversations happening up here, you're going to have those strong conversations happening with everyone. Yeah, and and again, you know, this this waterfall effect of it trickling down. Well, actually, you need to look at that because mm-hmm. um, it's a it's actually about reciprocity. Means that your employees, you know, they can't walk up a uh, a waterfall so you need to change that model to potentially it's a, it's a lake where you know there's conversations that go round and round and round and 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 people get to feedback and you know this beautiful feedback um uh, I often find the best leaders are the ones that can take feedback and you know quite critical feedback mm-hmm. but take the gold within that yeah so yes sometimes it might hurt the words but actually right. it's the gold underneath, you know, so what are they really saying? You know, what's underneath that feedback? And, you know, throughout, through the practice that we have, it's about receiving feedback, even positive feedback, actually. Um, and we call it as a taonga, as a treasure. Yeah, because there's gold in that feedback, no matter how poorly it's wrapped. Okay. And if you right. choose to look at that feedback as a leader, um, you that will be your undoing, you know, that's the bit that will really um, elevate you and help you to look at those bl- blind spots, again, that we all have. Yeah, and and I think having companies understand that it's not just a, a say, a 24-hour shift, right, between a culture. It, it takes time for those conversations to happen and then to have that change affected, especially when in when I think companies and employees need kind of that understanding of this is a journey that we're all going to take together. It's not just something that says, okay, cool. We have a new culture. That's, that's, yeah, it doesn't doesn't work. Yeah. And so, you know, I just think we have a a Māori uh, value that I think it really fits here. And so we practice this and it's called a manaki. And manaki is to take care of. Yeah, be the best host that you can be, um, you know, so that when someone leaves your premises that they go, oh, wow, you know, I was so well looked after. 
And so this concept of manaki is, is across New Zealand, actually. Whether you're in private government, people talk about our values as, as Indigenous. Mm -hmm. And people talk about whether or not you have provided that manaki as an organisation. And you're known for that. And so, you know, that's, that's a culture. You know, that's a value that's come from an Indigenous way of being that is now being that is now just normal in our government and in organizations. And I just think it's so beautiful that we're taking on these these concepts, um, the traditional knowledge that has helped us, you know, survive. Mm -hmm. And now it's really helping our country to, you know, rise and then ultimately to thrive as a nation. Yeah. And so it becomes very collective. Mm -hmm. Very collective, not the individual. So yes, we need to take responsibility, but we're part of a system, yeah, an ecosystem of the land, of the people, of the place, and and actually when we are collectively taking care of each other, you know, everyone benefits, and that's a you know that's quite a beautiful, um, unique way of thinking about leadership. Our way is about the collective. It might take longer, as you say. Mm -hmm. But actually, it becomes embedded in everyone. And so this concept of manaki has become embedded in our, in our nation. And I think it's a beautiful thing. No, I, I really love that, that, that whole idea of obviously growing, growing within your community and, and making, you know, having those conversations that really propel, you know, your, your, your own goals forward, but also, you know, just just the whole idea of, of something moving, right? You know, especially when it comes to building a culture or even building an, an idea that can spread beyond, you know, like, like what you're trying to do, you know, expanding something from New Zealand through the rest of the world yes. and, and having people take some of those cues and take some of those ideas and grow them within the, themselves. 100% and their communities and things that are really important to them. So, yeah, the same concept that we've used here in, in New Zealand, you know, mm -hmm. starting from ourselves, growing it out to our communities, to our government, to our tribal nations, to <laughs> private organisations is the same concept for globally, yeah. And the great thing is that our women get to indigenize the programmes that they deliver for themselves. You know, we're not the owners of it. We're only the stewards. That's another concept um, of being the steward versus the owner. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it's just, and it's wonderful to be part of that transformation of people's lives. And then when you hear back of what they've done for themselves and their people, and you're like, wow, it might be in business, it might mm -hmm. be in leadership in their career, it might be in, in community. Um, amazing. Yeah, and, and, and through uh, RISE 2025, you know, you've been able to support and provide that leadership access to Indigenous women in New Zealand and around the world, especially as they get in, um, they're, they're able to, to get into those businesses and really spread that kind of structure. Um, so what, what are the top three things that uh, women can do in the business world today to empower themselves, be heard, especially in what is traditionally known as male-dominated fields? Yes, yes. So first, you know, I really would say to you as a as a, an empowered leader and an empowered woman to take your space. Yeah, men have been doing that forever. 
we need to own those spaces. So work out what that space is, if it's in HR, if it's in well-being, if it's in finance, and then really just take that space and, and you know, what does that look like? It'll look like different for each person. But first, you've got to identify that for yourself. And um, my friend and I, Joe Cribb, we wrote a book called Take Your Space. Um, so, you know, and it talks to many of these these concepts. So uh, eight chapters, value your worth, yeah, own your confidence, put your wellness mask on first, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah um, give back, you know, to your communities. All of those things will help you to take your space. I think the second thing um, really for leaders, especially in our, our male-dominated industries, is to, I mean, we do need to be inclusive uh, of, of men and, and bring them on the journey. Find the, find the men that are going to champion it for you. Um, allow them the space to to walk alongside you. Um, I've always had male allies and sponsors always yeah because they uh, speak a different language they communicate differently and we need both communication styles to bring organizations on on the journey um Mm -hmm. so that's the second thing i would do and the third thing is be open to be coached and to receive feedback especially the most critical feedback i've ever had is the is the feedback that elevated me to you know, to where I am now because I listened to what was underneath that. Yeah, and and so, you know, be open to be mentored and coached and um, get what you need um, in that space to really hear what what people think of your leadership. Yeah, because we're a brand in our in our own right, and so we know about brands is is it's really about what people say about you when you're not in the room. Um, and so right. be your own brand yeah be your own advocate that's great that's great no I love that ask for what you need ah okay yeah and then and having those conversations and having that communication yeah yeah absolutely exactly. that's wonderful and, and and I know that as as companies continue to to change and evolve, especially with the kind of almost post-COVID, you know, world that we're living in, it's it's still very much, very much a part of it. Um, but I know that businesses have opened up those conversations, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it is um, for mental health, whether it is, um, whether it is, kind of working with the employees that 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 you have and, and having those conversations and welcoming new ideas and obviously navigating different work structures, whether it's having people in a high more hybrid environment, um, having different leadership models than maybe 20 or 30 years ago was not even a conversation, which is really exciting. Um, you know, what what can companies keep in mind today to make sure that they are strong and successful in our Mm. ever-changing world yeah yeah no I think it's um you know we have to build for the future um versus build for now and so yeah we have this really great um concept which is called be a good ancestor 
Um, and, and what that helps people to do and what that helps leaders to do is to really put themselves out into that space where, you know, it's, it's beyond us today. Yeah, and being a good ancestor means to look through the eyes of your grandchildren. Yeah, what what would what who would they want you to be? Yeah, mm -hmm. and 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 having a a look to the future in terms of if something only works for five to ten years, that's that's not the avenue that you should be moving towards. It's something you need to look. For me, I always think of, I need to look in terms of centuries. I can't look beyond, right, in, in, in terms of, say, months or individual years. Yeah, so that's that's definitely, a, a, um, yeah, I, I mean, my ancestors were very visionary. You know, they set up things for me that, that they did hundreds of years ago. And mm -hmm. so as, as Māori here, we are setting up strategy 100, 500 years in advance. And a lot of traditional um, organisations say, how, how do you do that? Oh, you've got to take on a different worldview. Yeah, it's got to be beyond you. And so we, mm -hmm. this concept of being a good ancestor is quite, um, yeah, quite common here now is to look beyond um, yourself and, and really start to encompass what it what it will be like, and and whether it's right or wrong, it's it's you know it just is, um, and mm -hmm. it helps you to see that future horizon, yeah, that future horizon that obviously keeps moving because it's really not a destination; it just keeps moving, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know that that is that is something that I think um, as leaders of organisations and governance boards, we need to get better at. Um, because otherwise, you know, we're going to have to keep creating strategy after strategy after strategy. And that's tiring. Actually, we just need that big, beautiful vision out there um, that your grandchildren will be proud of you for putting in place because they're going right. to be great, great grandchildren, actually. Um, that really the, the work that needs to be done is in the reality in the present is to really have those strong milestones and um, you know whatever the language we want to use KPIs that keep us moving towards that. And the the biggest thing that I've learned is that you know people remember how you make them feel. Yeah, and and so make your people, your teams feel valued. Make sure that they feel heard. Make mm -hmm. sure that they feel seen in how you build out your, you know, your work plans, um, your workforce plans, your development plans, your organisational structure, you know, and, and, and make the work matter for each and every, each and every person. And, you know, build these beautiful um, cultures that are about, growing and learning together that's and, you know that's what I believe right and and I think that each I think every company around the world can 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 take those those lessons obviously that we've learned yeah. you know over the course of, of a company's life or even over the course of the last couple of years within their employees and starting and having those conversations and making sure that 
you are supporting the people around you and also just supporting growth, I think is, is so very important. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about if, if I'm not growing, then I'm not. Yeah. I'm not fully participating. I'm right. Yeah, if I'm not feeling a bit uncomfortable and that growth, then I'm comfortable, which means I'm not growing. So there's all signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's too comfortable, you're not growing. So, you know, get in and, you know, growth can feel just, it's it's new. It's learning something new. Yeah, it might be a new language, might be a new instrument. Yeah, it might be a new skill. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the, that's what I mean by uncomfortable. That can be uncomfortable. And then it becomes comfortable again and then you do something else. Right. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. You're welcome. Yeah. And, and, and thank you so much to our viewers for joining us as well. And make sure to tune in next time to learn about the innovative steps, programs, and growth um, of today's world of safety. Mm-hmm.